Hi, and welcome to this episode of the VFX Show. We're looking at uh, Ridley Scott's new, hmm, could be masterpiece, we don't know, Napoleon, a film hated by the French and loved by the English. And uh, joining me is uh, Sir Matt Wallen. How are you, sir? Uh, excellent. And uh, Squire Jason Diamond. Uh, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Okay, let's go then. Uh, so... So this is a film I was really looking forward to uh, from the trailer, but I'm going to hold my opinion on what I think about it until I hear from you guys. So, uh, Mr. Diamond, sir, what was your takeout? And can you tell me what format you saw it in? Because I saw it in IMAX, so I'd like to know what you saw it in. Uh, I saw it in my local theater, in like a reasonable theater. It wasn't IMAX because uh, Beyonce had taken over the IMAX screens with her <laughs> She'll do beautiful that. film, colored by the wonderful Alex Bickle. Uh and uh, I think it was laser, but I can't be sure. But it was, you know, it was a good size screen, like definitely large. Um, th I think there was a, a calibration error, unless you guys saw the same thing. There was some solarization happening in the image. Like Ooh, I didn't the, see that. in the high, yeah, I think maybe this projector wasn't fully calibrated or there was an issue. Because like where when you would get to super bright highlights, they would break apart really easily and kind of go from teal to to whatever that super warm pastel-y color they used a lot in the in the old-timey look um french old-timey look that they were going for but it uh it was only in the super brights and i forgot about it swiftly but um i went into this movie with very little expectations i didn't really watch the trailers and it like I was planning on seeing it, but I accelerated the viewing for the show. Um, I obviously love Ridley Scott and I love Joaquin Phoenix and I definitely love Vanessa Kirby, uh, as I think I've espoused on many of our Mission Impossible shows. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the film. I was didn't know what was going to be happening. I'm not a Francophile, nor am I a huge, like, European war uh, aficionado. But, like, I knew just enough about Napoleon that this, you know, like, I was able to follow without being lost. And then I feel like I, I haven't looked into how accurate it was. I know there was a bunch of articles going around about how accurate the movie was versus reality. It felt it felt good in terms of it didn't feel egregious, you know, that it was, uh, overly, uh, poetic license. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the battle scenes were great. I thought, uh, Joaquin Phoenix was amazing as he always is. Um, fuck, uh, Wolski shot the shit out of it and it had a good, it just had a good vibe. Like I was, I was into the, um, approach that it was really it they were all um sort of a spider web off the central story of him and josephine uh which is that what it felt like and his nationalism obviously for his country um so yeah i great battle scenes really showed like you know got in there braveheart style you know gladiator style but also had these you know, big, high, wide, mappy kind of views to really help you understand what's happening and show his genius with the flanks and all that stuff. Um, but I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Mr. Matt? 
Yeah, I mean, I I should probably confess uh, that I'm a I'm a giant Ridley Scott fan. <laughs> like I, I kind of I'm he's what sort of my he's my Christopher Nolan probably right. <laughs> I think he's as a as a visual storyteller. Uh, I think he's just really un, unmatched. I think he's incredible. He's of all the living filmmakers. Uh, uh, he's probably my favorite living filmmaker to date. Uh, wow. That's a total. And cool. yeah, I mean, it's just everything. He, I, I'll go see anything the guy makes. I'll watch any commercial he makes. Like I'm just really interested in his uh, visual style, his sense of composition. Um, I think he's like most filmmakers who are so prolific. Uh, he's an incredibly prolific filmmaker. Uh, he makes a large number of, uh, projects and they're hit and miss. And for me, this movie is, you know, mid-level Ridley Scott. It has some great moments in it. Some of it is absolutely, uh, wildly hilarious. I think there's some funny bits in it. What I think would be, would make this movie great. I'm excited to see the director's cut when it comes out on oh, Apple yeah. TV, uh, sometime early next year is the, the idea. Uh, I think it'll be an extra hour of material, which I'll watch it again for that. I won't probably yeah. go see it again in the theater. Um, what I walked away thinking was, uh, this was a, uh, a fun film. I'm glad I saw it. I think the battle scenes are, you know, typical Ridley Scott. They're epic. They're so well choreographed. It's well covered, well shot. Um, and there's some really neat other moments. Joaquin Phoenix is great. Vanessa Kirby is great. All the British character actors in it who play different bit parts here and there, I think are all very well cast. It's visually a lot of fun to watch. Is it a great movie in this form factor at this length? Eh, you know, it's mid, it's mid <laughs> middling. I think <laughs> I, I, I would love to see a movie like this as I think it would work much better The the scope of the narrative that I think, uh, you know, the filmmaker wants to tell if it were a six to eight hour, um, HBO style miniseries, yeah. I think that would be better to be honest. I think it's a, a biopic of this scope needs more uh rich deep character development they flirt with some of the political machinations around you know the sort of disillusionment with the uh beginnings of the french revolution and then the subsequent mm -hmm. fall in france into kind of a you know a kind of uh, a, another sort of version of the aristocracy right that they were sort of trying to get rid of um or the monarchy they were trying to get rid of and they flirt with that some in some of the political scenes, but it doesn't go deep enough. There's not enough characterization, I think, on a historical level that I think would be really interesting combined with the action-packed, you know, Ridley Scott vibes. But there are some incredible visual effects in this movie, too, which we can get into. Also, yeah. I think we all learned uh, never invade Russia in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hitler could have learned that one, right? Yeah, um, I will say I think one of the most remarkable things is uh, that end graphic where it describes the death of three million people during the period mm -hmm. that the film is uh, portraying, which is just astounding. I mean, I I can it's hard to imagine that many people dying. It's also possible without modern medicine to imagine that people 
dying with things that would have not killed them today. But nevertheless, like to assemble that many people at that point in history and to have them, I mean, you know, just incredible. And the the numbers of people and the number of people that would have had to have supported such armies, like you never really see that, right? But like, you know, mm -hmm. we know that just from modern warfare, right? If you stick a hundred soldiers out there, you need a whole lot of people doing logistics to feed them and look after them. Point being, of course, that's not didn't happen in Russia because of the um uh the approach. But I've got to say, like I think the film kind of didn't know which film it wanted to be. Like it didn't for me go the full gladiator, which was a complete story. It more went, well, I'm over here on the battles and I'm really loving that. Then I'm over here with Josephine and I'm kind of loving that, but it seems detached somewhat from the battle sequences. And more to the point, it doesn't feel like a complete story. Like I, I so I guess I'm leaning heavily on your point about if the there's a four hour kind of miniseries version of mm -hmm. it that flesh that out. Cause I'm not a huge history buff. I thought the love affair between Napoleon and Josephine was epic, and I didn't get epic out of this. I got kind of a bit tragic, a bit one-sided, and a bit kind of lame at times. <laughs> and there were sort of odd scenes, like the one where he tells her that she's kind of nothing and, and she's been cheating on him, and then she suddenly turns and says, you're nothing. And you go, oh, this is an interesting dynamic, like between the two of them. And it kind mm -hmm. of never resurfaces again. Like, did she dominate him? Did she privately press a button that he had as a, as a kind of an Achilles heel emotionally? There was a huge hint about that in that one mm -hmm. scene on the couch. And I was like, well, that's that's a really interesting power dynamic in an age when men, and in particular this man, was dominant, and yet that didn't seem to be fleshed out. So if those sort of things were fleshed out, and then similarly with the battle sequences, like I thought... Uh, some of them, especially the one on the ice and I guess the Waterloo sequence were incredibly kind of Braveheart impressive and really, really interesting. But I, I really love those uh, detailed historical accounts of how a battle was fought where you're just hitting yourself in the head going, why don't they duck? Like, why are they walking straight into, <laughs> into a musket fire? Like, and I know that that's what happened. I don't know guerrilla warfare wasn't really a thing. But again, they touched on that a little bit in Russia. Like there was a kind of guerrilla warfare aspect to how they were. Yeah, from the Russians. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, wouldn't that have been kind of interesting? Like was it hubris or was it naive or was it just modern warfare to be so blatantly killing your own men as a, an advance on the um, on the opposition? So I felt a little unsatisfied in both realms. Having said that, if you pick an individual sequence in this, I'm totally with you guys on Ridley's ability to shoot magnificent cinema. You know what I mean? Like, if you just take the the attack on the ice or you just take Waterloo alone, um, I was all in during those sequences with just the framing, the composition, the narrative. It was just spectacular. Yeah. I thought yeah. the ice sequence was stellar. I thought the was siege at the first the first battle sequence the siege at too too long that's too a too long, long. Uh, I think yeah. was also it's a great introductory moment to this sort of uh, ascendancy this rise mm -hmm. to some kind of power right where he's he's ex the Joaquin Phoenix is extraordinarily 
he's nervous, he's shaking, he's like fearful, like, you know, in a way that I think any sane person would be, but it yeah. opens too with that great, he, he decides he's just going to go all in. They, they, they're lighting the uh, explosive charges, which is a mm -hmm. beautiful visual. And then the charge and the char his first initial charge into battle, it, it culminates with a, an amazing and horrific uh, computer graphics, visual effects and uh practical effects with the horse being hit oh with, yeah i believe a cannonball right right in the chest yeah. yep. obliterating the horse and he goes you know end over end and and uh that opening sequence too it just really kicks the yeah it was sort great. of it's the first battle sequence in the film and it really kicks it into mm -hmm. this i think kind of a high gear where you're like holy smokes like what am i in for here this is going to be something and that different and that really yeah that and, and i think that really shows the sort of calculating nature of it of the way he gets the smaller cannons they drag them up and they do the thing right. and then they get the ladders and they go up and they basically take over that wall so they can shoot the ships with their own cannons like it's a very logical approach when you think about it and you're like why didn't anyone else think of that like it seems so easy but it's like you know or at least logical but you know it's it's, it's in a, it's a a bold and daring thing yeah. like yeah and that comes it across is, cinematically i think absolutely and, yeah and it's magnificent cinema right like the shots yeah. of the fleet being destroyed is mm -hmm. just you know classic filmmaking but it had scale it had depth the visual effects yeah. were like totally on the mark even though we'll get to this i'm sure there's been all that whole thing about this film not having visual effects but but here's the thing, that scene also encapsulates me my same problem that I referred to earlier, which is at the end of that sequence, remarkable as it was, he walks back, pulls the cannonball out of his horse and said, that's for mum. And again, I'm like, well, that's setting up a really interesting thing. Like, why would you give your mother a bloody cannonball from a horse that nearly killed you? There must be a whole lot going on here with his relationship yeah. with his mother. And then the rest of the film, I don't think we really kind of went back to that and so it was you know it was portents and it was narrative uh world building and everything that you wanted it just i didn't feel like these things paid off i was like but remember that great bit you had with the horse why did you have that if you're not gonna yeah build on it kind of thing you, you so, hope that the four and a half hour cut or mm -hmm. four hour cut or whatever has some of those loose ends yeah, tied up but gaps you know, just to be fair, like this is the movie that we saw. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think to Mike's point, I would, I would agree. Like there are like, like tendrils, there are threads and, and seeds that are planted narratively. And I guess if you know, if you've read, I've never read a Napoleon biography or autobiography, or not, I don't know, it wouldn't be an autobiography, a biography. <laughs> I've never read a historical biography. biography of Napoleon, but, um, you know, but you shouldn't I, have it to, would right? be it would be interesting this is but not, yeah yeah this is not you like should the, be able you know, to see it in the, the in the film and yeah. i think you're absolutely I mean, I, right those are missing bits i saw recently um the tv show um uh the chemistry one with um what's it called uh lessons in chemistry oh, and, right. and i liked it and i went to a dinner party and i said i liked it and i got shot down in flames but everybody who had read the book right who were just going ape crazy that the book was so much better than the TV show. And I was like, well, but if you haven't seen the, if not read the book, then the show was quite mm -hmm. good. They're like, yeah, but it was appalling. And this character was changed and that character was changed. I'm like, I can't judge it through the lens of the book. I can only judge it from what I saw on the yeah. telly. Um, in the case here, 
I think I think we we'll get another visual effects in a second, but I do think like it is still worth seeing the film. Like it's not like the film is terrible or anything. It's not like it's completely disjoint. It just feels like, you know, there's stuff that wasn't in the film paid off. And I do like any film that sets stuff up well and then and then pays off. You know, like where there's I was hearing someone talking the other day about Die Hard, the uh, the great American uh, Christmas film. And they were saying like <laughs> everything in that film is either set up or pay off. Do you know what I mean? There's no yeah. scene mm -hmm. where somebody does something yeah. early on where he takes his shoes off to fill the carpet. That's a fun moment that doesn't also link to him running through the Nakatomi yeah. Plaza getting his feet cut up with blood. And you never go, well, that was odd with the feet. Where did that come from? Right. You know, it's like very taut. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. I everything think the, connects. I think the perfect example of that is my cousin Vinny. That script is tight as shit. And everything in film. the first half, everything in the first half of the movie is unknowingly the audience and Vincent LaGuardia Gambini learning about that town and the way people do things in the South. And then he applies it to win the case. Perfect setup, perfect, you know, uh, payoff in all, in all ways. And, and even better than that, there are bits in that film that the scene itself is totally fine, right? Like there's a scene where the accused, he walks in and he's saying, um, you killed the guy. And he goes yeah. in the police inquiry and he goes, I killed the guy. I, I killed a guy. I killed the guy. And you right. just think that's fine. Right. And then later he's reading it and goes, so you confessed. Cause you said to me, I killed the guy. I killed the yeah. guy. I killed the guy. And <laughs> exactly. you're like, so it wasn't even like a setup where it felt like if you hadn't had the later scene, it would have yeah. been odd. But in this one, I don't think that's the case. In this one, I'm like, it's screamed. There's going to be another part to this. That's going to, uh, the other shoe is going to drop and you can get it. Now, Leaving that aside for a second, uh, I, started, I think the film is is really good. My cousin um, Napoleon. I'm my cousin it Napoleon. Right now. There you go. <laughs> um, so that's script writing. Okay, so from a visual effects point of view, this is played in a fairly what I'm going to call realistic um, palette. Like it's, but having said that, it's stylistically very influenced. I feel like by kind of a French sensibility. So it doesn't. It's not a stylized film in that sense, but it is. It does feel more European than I would say an American uh, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, Jason, if you could comment on that. Is that? Do you feel like that was coming through? I mean, obviously, there's production design, but was there something in cinematography? Like, what made this film feel visually European, or am I just picking that up? I well, I mean, maybe the color palette. Like, I mean, the, this to your point that. The scene setting, the production design, obviously location, you know, they're in the, in palaces and other things that are just screaming France. But no, I think, I think he, he and Wolski rightly shot it in a, in a slightly more languid way. Like it has more of an English, not English, but European drama vibe outside of the battles, you know, for people talking like, Really good composition. I have to say, I love that he went Barry Lyndon in style. And it, maybe they had lights other places, but the fact that it felt candlelit at night, fucking awesome. Like, it just, they walking from room to room, like almost like the favorite, like the Yorgos movie. Like, you know, someone's using a candle, that's the light. Again, maybe it's augmented, but it didn't feel it. And they're all at dinner and there's candles everywhere. Like... I think there's an authenticity to it 
maybe is what makes it feel European because it doesn't feel like you're on a Hollywood backlot for France. You're in France. You're it, it, it has the feel. It's hard to say, but I think it's I think it's really just the the non-American over coverage. There's a, not a ton of editing in a lot of scenes. They kind of play out. It's wides. It's you know nice you know uh, uh, back and forths and what have you. It it's it feels understated in those moments, which of course are are uh, contrary to the battles, which are nothing uh, understated about them. I think in that same vein too, though, there's another thing that like, I didn't, I I profess my ignorance. I didn't know this until after I saw the movie, but there is something that it's so appropriate to the subject matter. There are a couple of paintings, like famous late 17th century paintings. There's Bonaparte before the Sphinx. An 1886 hmm. painting by French artist Jean Leon Guerin. Guerin, I'm saying that wrong, probably, but it's literally compositionally and everything like it's the exact shot in the movie. Like so, oh, you know, the historical research and the the interest in history that I think is kind of at least for movies like this and Gladiator and Kingdom of Heaven and stuff like that. These are definitely things that, you know, the duelists, like these are things Ridley Scott's always kind of, I think, been interested in is in that historical kind of epic type filmmaking. And to utilize some of these paintings uh, as things that he tries to recreate cinematically to match the lighting, the composition, the, you know, sort of mm-hmm. uh, the, the the look of some of these images, it roots, even if you, I, like, I know I've seen that painting before, right? But I would never have thought of it. I, but it's like, you see it right away. And when you see it on screen, it resonates. And it resonates because right. it's probably an image you've seen in a textbook, maybe as a kid in high school or something, who knows what, right? Yeah. And I think that those kinds of touchstones in a movie like this uh, are significant and they do bring it into, as you're suggesting, Mike, maybe a more kind of European sensibility or something. I don't know. It feels like you're watching something that's that's a historical epic and that has like a, not to be too corny, but like a frame of reference, you know, like there's there's images that are being replicated. Yeah. I would add to that. I think then in reverse, they were, it feels like then, because I didn't know that, that they were then trying to create their own frames that looked like could be paintings, you know, of, of, of moments. So like, and they do that a lot with light and there's the scene where he's getting his coronation and they're in the, I guess, chapel-y kind of, I mean, it's massive, but, and all that light is coming through the, through the side across uh, the room diagonally. I believe that's the scene. And I mean, it's just gorgeous, but that like linear light study almost is very uh, painting, you know, uh, feels like a painting uh, in that you would have very direct light. It's not diffuse it's it's making a dramatic situation cameras kind of moving through it uh so i mean i'm speculating but it seems like maybe and and that may be a painting too like i don't know you know (laughs) i don't know how many paintings he referenced in the in the film i'm not say i mean yeah 
I'd like to do a shout out to an odd craft because um, you're talking about referencing production design for the paintings. Can I just say that I thought the wigs and hair design in this yeah. film, we would normally not like go for hair, but I found like it was, and like this is going to sound so weird, but it was almost like the haircuts were subtext to what was going on. You know what I mean? Like after the revolution, they had really short hair uh, because they were rejecting the styles of the, you know, very kind of uh, mm -hmm. uh, fluffy, high hair kind of stuff that the was Versailles kind of, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, and and but also just the way they were done, the the sort of almost barbarism of the hair cutting. So it wasn't like a styled, yeah, it was cut and it was a uh, rough and like there was just. I kept on thinking whoever just was working on hair throughout this, like really understood the narrative. And I love it when visuals do that, that they just increase the story, whether it's visual effects. In this case, for the first time ever, I was thinking, wow, the subjects is really working in the haircuts <laughs> or the hairstyling. It's an odd thing to point out, but boy, it was kicking it in every department. And that's just one of them, I guess. And well, when you meet Josephine for the first time, you know, just to follow up on the hair thing real quick, when you meet Josephine yeah. for the first time, her hair is like, you know, uh, Laurie Anderson or something. Totally. You know I mean? Like it's totally, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it, and so it, it is shocking. Like I, in the theater, I was like, Oh, like where, like you're expecting these, these grand Hollywood moments with over, uh, not to knock the other films that, that do this. Cause maybe it works in those films, but to Mike's point, there was a, a brutality to it that is unsaid. And I didn't know any, I didn't really, that's not subtext I know, but it still struck me when I saw her. I was like, oh, wow, that's a, that's like really kind of out of what I was expecting for this. Brutality you know, is a really good way of describing it. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, Without I think having the, to draw on new attention. Those costumes too, I think the ornate nature of the costumes and I got to just throw it out there. Like I'm a sucker for the Captain Crunch hat. Like we got to bring back the Captain <laughs> Crunch the Napoleon hat. I mean, that's like the coolest look. I think too, you know, one of the things that like the, with the hair, the, um, you know, kind of the, uh, what at times feels like some of the crassness of the interactions between the characters. Like if I, if I understand this correctly, like this is like the sad American public education's uh, understanding of the French Revolution, but but um, blame it on California if it's terrible here. But but it, my understanding, right, is that the the French uh, after the American Revolution, which we were inspired by French intellectuals, right, in the Enlightenment, to our founding fathers wrote our Constitution. We had our revolution, and and uh, with the help of the French, uh, were successful against the British, and then the French. Uh, decided to go uh, and try to mimic, uh, well, it was in, in their own, for their own purposes, had their own revolution and tried to throw out uh, the monarchy. And it was a success initially, but then got mired down in all of this um, politics. And it paved mm -hmm. the way, I think, in a really interesting way for this film to come out now. It's so timely, as an American, at least, watching the the you know, the potential collapse of American democracy and the upcoming election and the anxiety. I think that so many people around the world feel for a second term of our uh, orange Jesus. Uh, but um, I think it's I, so I interesting. Would... The, 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 the turn and the portrayal of the turn 
of and the churn of the history, the that French history, um, and the way it's uh encapsulated in in the costume and the hair and uh all the things that you guys are describing, at least as a layman, that sort of mirrors and echoes my layman's understanding of some of those uh moments yeah. historically. I, I I didn't see it as a direct parallel with the Trump uh situation, but I would say that even going into the film, I was super fascinated by the fact that you could have Napoleon exiled, not once, but twice, right? right? Like you would expect a figure in history like this to either have been executed in a coup mm -hmm. or fallen from grace or whatever, but to, 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 to be exiled, then come back, then to be exiled again. Like it's an extraordinary well, story. Well, and, and interestingly, the first, when he's exiled to Elba, He's given like the emperorship of Elba. Like he's he runs Elba. That's his ex exile. Just run this little kind of not little, actually reasonable size island with people, and like you do your shit and just do it there. And then he leaves. So you're thinking by Matt's analogy that we should give Florida to Trump? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I mean that would be fine with me. But okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, you just, just send him. All, send all him away. Floridians <laughs> who are listening to the podcast, I apologize. Oh no, all Floridians <laughs> should leave Florida. And, if they feel, I was born and raised, I was not born there, but I was raised there. And I, I feel very uh, qualified to say those words anyway. Uh, <laughs> but then when he comes back, then the English exile him, actually, not the French, right? Right. Because, and then the English put him on a small island where it's like Papillon, you know, and he's like watched and it's like kind of more prison is ish. Correct. So you're kind of yeah. like, Hey, you know, like you kind of, it wasn't so bad back there on Elba. Um, but uh, I was going to say um, what really struck me, because I've never, I mean, obviously I know it and I know the rough dates, but one of the things that was really impactful to me was, was that they kept putting up the dates. And like, when I realized the first date was like, whatever, 1787 or 17, whatever Toulon was. And I'm like, oh shit. This is after, like, I'm able to parallel real fast in my mind what's happening in America and not think that Napoleon was actually, you know, even though I knew it, but to see it and be able to, like, really quickly parallel in my head American development as of 1776 through what was happening in France and go, oh, right, that's only like, this is only like 200 and something years ago. Like, it's not that long ago. And there was, at least for me, it was a really interesting like journey as he marched forward and did his things and they kept showing the dates and my brain going, wow, like what's happening in America at this time, what's happening in other parts of the world during this time uh, to try to contextualize Napoleon. Because like I said, I'm not a, a Napoleonic uh, buff. So I don't, my placement of him in time was, was maybe a little more amorphous than I had thought going into the film. I mean, they're almost simultaneous. I mean, 1789 yeah. is when the constitution is ratified yeah. and accepted by the States and when George Washington becomes the first president yeah. of the United States. Yeah. So there happened really, it's, it's a, it's a zeitgeist that's occurring in mm -hmm. multiple places around the globe, yeah. you know, as a, as a post enlightenment age you know, with all the enlightenment thinkers and people reading and, yeah. uh, you know, deciding like, Hey, we can create something better, you know, sort of the idea, I think. I think also, yeah. So could I also say like, 
there's a whole lot of stuff that's really interesting about how, say, Britain was reacting to what was happening because France had a revolution, America had a revolution, like England was by no means guaranteed of not having a resolution uh, revolution. Um, which brings well, they me kind of did in America, right? Like it was a half of a revolution because it was a territory or a new land that they lost. Of sorts. Uh, in know. the words, in the words of your immortal playwright, you'll be back. You'll see. <laughs> um, hey, uh, so the other thing I was going to say, and I just, you know, for the purposes of whatever, we we sort of just touched on the Battle of uh, Waterloo, and what happened there between. Um, British and the French. I, I thought Wellington was incredibly interesting on screen, and the portrayal of his attitude was, and the same can be said, I think, of Nelson. Like they didn't put his hand in his chest with that kind of very funny, and they didn't play on his height. They didn't go for like a lot of a cliches, and they didn't make Wellington out to be a pompous ass or an English kind of like whatever. Like they were. In some spent senses, they looked very theatrical and very almost pantomime because their costumes are just, to our eye, odd. But I felt like the characterization still felt really, really good. Mm -hmm. And when you had that uh, Wellington versus Napoleon thing, you know, like the it, it was it was shot really well. They, they didn't play for cliches, but I still had an idea of the geography, the height difference in terms of the land, you know, like going up the hill and the battle and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, that just seems so pivotal. And then the military actions, and I'm guessing most of this is live action, uh, of uh, the way that uh, well, uh, Wellington's um, troops formed those uh, circular... Um, yeah. You know, to withstand... Boxes the, uh, or something. Yeah, to its, which seemed like a very Roman army esque thing to do. Totally. Yeah. It just by that time I was completely linking this stuff to what had been learned from the uh, Roman legions, whether rightly mm -hmm. or wrongly. It just felt mm -hmm. so like that. I I could have done with more of that, and and I'm sure that there was a lot of visual effects because obviously there were a lot of bodies, and you wouldn't hire that many actors just to lie around. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was hard to stay away, I think, from the chaos of war, which leaves the viewer not sure what's going on. Like mm -hmm. in one sense, you want to portray visually that there is death and destruction and it's horrendous and there's just, you can't work out what's going on. But in another sense, the audience needs to understand that there was a higher level of abstraction to what was happening and that we understand that as a viewer, even though the soldier in the, in the inventory, it would be completely overwhelmed by the noise and the gunfire and everything else. It was just beautifully executed. I, I thought the, yeah, I thought the geography of the, of the shot design within the battles was incredibly informative. It never felt discombobulated. And even at moments when it did, you were rightly so war is hell, as they say. And, you know, you don't want to feel like it's super structured because it's not, but, but they were, they were working on plants. Right, they they had ranks of of cavalry and infantry and cannon. It's a planned scenario that they are orchestrating, so you feel the plan. But then, to your point, you're just seeing guys like, okay, I guess is what I'm doing, and they're just marching each other, shooting, and hoping that they make it through the line to gut someone on the other side. Um, um, but yeah, I, I think what I read was there was like upwards of 300 extras 
uh, in a, a number of the scenes, certainly in the, in the, the ice, the lake scene at night, the yeah, ice, Austerlitz. Uh, ice lake, Austerlitz and, uh, like 11 camera units so that they could be f- sort of filming it as it's happening and getting all the stuff, you know, within the action. Which is the Just Ridley Scott of- way, which is so interesting yep. yeah. compared to like sort of the, the Roger Deakin school, you know, like Ridley Scott's jam is like, I'm going to cover the shit out of it. And like, I'm going to use mm-hmm. anything and everything I can, you know, like he's got as many cameras yeah. as he can get in some of those big action scenes, which is, you know, a smart and economical way to work. It's a different methodology, like, but it's, yeah. I would argue equally successful. Uh, just real quick. There's a, uh, if anybody's interested, there's an amazing, uh, profile in, uh, the New Yorker magazine now from, you know, around the time the film came out and, uh, it's called, I believe you can find it online. It's called, uh, Ridley Scott's Napoleon complex. And it's a a great profile of the filmmaker and of the, some of the thinking behind the making of this film. What's interesting is it's important to know he's 86 years old. I know. <laughs> he's got his 86 and he's making this, he's finishing up the sequel to Gladiator. He's got other projects in the mix. Like he's the busiest guy you could imagine. Uh, I mean, I, we could all, I mean, at 53, I, I wish I was that busy, you know, I mean, it's insane the number of things he's got going on, but he's also uh, in that New Yorker profile. And there's some of these floating around online too. There are some of his famous Ridley Grams, right? His Ridley uh, Scott storyboards. And yeah. they are, I'll, I'll see if I can give you some of these for the show notes, Mike, if you don't have them already, but they are gorgeous like they're yeah like he's an incredible artist color i mean just incredible some of the best boards i've seen him do and uh you can look at him and you can just see oh yeah that's exactly what it looked like in the film you know so anyway i was just gonna say from, from a historical concept and also from a filmmaking point of view i always think it's fun to imagine myself on the other side before this is shot right because it's just a well-known thing the battle of waterloo right he's trying to stage that so imagine that you're in the pre-production meeting, right? And somebody says, well, what actually happened at Waterloo? And it's like, okay, <laughs> look this up, right? There's about 73,000 French. There's about 70,000, 68,000 English, another 50,000 of the Germans that come and, and just... So mm-hmm. right away, you're talking like hundreds of thousands of uh, 70, whatever it is, against 120,000. Okay, but then you're going to have... 33,000 people killed, I'll look this up, of which 25,000 were killed in, and on one side and 21 on the English side, 8,000 captured. Um, there are multiple different uh, costumes because you've got to handle Germans, Dutch, British, French. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got horses of which there were 7,000 killed on the day. And uh, there was something I read about, oh yeah, the French like had 252 guns and uh, 8,000 uh, artillery and engineers uh, and 14,000 cavalry, right, in addition to the 50,000 straight infantry. So now you're trying to portray all of that. Clearly, you're going to use visual effects, right, because you're yeah. insane if you don't. But nevertheless, the scope and epic nature of that, like pulling that off without it just being, you know, incomprehensible, like conveying that cinematically, because it felt that big to me, right? Yeah. Um, and by the way, this was only the second most bloody battle of the Waterloo Napoleon 
campaign, like the of the Napoleonic Wars, this wasn't the worst day that they had, right? <laughs> there was one that was worse, apparently. But yeah, like you've got to convey on that on screen. Um, I think this is where visual effects just is spectacularly good, right? You can choreograph these massive armies, you can give a sense of scale, and at the same time, you can get intimately close for quite gruesome one-on-one type, mm-hmm. uh, you know, deaths and, and conflict. And balancing that, I think you guys mentioned this earlier, but I'd like, I don't know, do you know who the editor was on this? Because balancing that has to be a huge compliment to the editor or the editing team, because knowing when to be in and knowing when to be out, when to be wide, when yeah. to be close, when to be like low and, and confusing and when to give us that aerial without making it all seem just like toy soldiers is... The uh, editor was Sam Restivo and... Claire Simpson, she was the lead editor. She did, I mean, she cut the constant gardener. I mean, you know, Fernando Moraes, that dude is no joke either. Uh, Platoon, uh, The Last Duel, House of Gucci, Raised by Wolves. I mean, obviously, she's Ridley's uh, peeps, All the Money in the World, Snowman. You know, far from the maddening crowd, uh, extremely loud and incredibly close. Sam Restivo was another editor who also did um, a number of Ridley Greatest Showman, Last Duel, House of Gucci. Uh, I'd, I'd love to so, know what the shooting ratio was on that that Waterloo sequence. Yeah, yeah? because you're well, it's at least eleven coverage. to one. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I mean, I can't even imagine cutting that on film. Like, I can imagine. Well, and also, how many takes can you do? Uh, in how? I mean, obviously, they're going to spend up, you know, weeks doing that. I'm sure, but like, you have to imagine you do all that. You, I mean, there's probably there's probably some real explosions, tons of fake Houdini stuff, and whatever. But like, you do a big take, and everybody comes in, and all this stuff happens, and then you got to reset it. Like, yeah. So, so let me just say, what the do most you do? Get one thing. a day? Like, I mean, this is the most obvious thing I'll say all year, but why the hell do they not celebrate visual effects for, for that work? Like, that is, that is giving the audience, like, no one thinks that you're actually killing horses, right? Like, no one in their right, right. mind thinks that you want to actually hurt animals or, for that matter, people. <laughs> so, so isn't this where visual effects is like, it's giving you, drama it's giving you scope it's giving you epic it's giving you cinematic everything and why not celebrate that why does they're walking away from this idea of, oh we did it for real like, i just no one think killed the horses for real i just think it's the fashion of the time like i yeah. don't know that it will always be that way like i i'm not so concerned i i appreciate that it's upsetting and offensive of course to the artists who work on these big projects like this where that becomes a part of the the sort of PR and I absolutely sympathize and I think that it's it's a shitty thing to do to be in all honesty I just don't think it's cool but I just think we're moving through this time where that's the fashion you know it's everybody wants to find something to nitpick to be the expert mm-hmm. on to complain about to whatever and you know when it's all said and done like all the artists who worked on this movie I I believe and hope uh, of course that they all got paid and they all did their work and their work is excellent and certainly mm-hmm. other artists and I think a 
you know, a significant percentage of the population recognizes the work that's being done. And will there be that kind of, yeah, I mean, I, I, you make a great point, but I also sort of feel like, I just think it's the time we're in, you know, like it, it won't last forever. I, I will also say our good friend, Todd Vaziri recently tweeted a running list. He's compiling of directors who do celebrate their visual effects teams in press and other things. So, uh, they're out there. Uh, oh, it'd be great to put that in the show notes. I have not seen yeah, that. I'll, I'll find it. Guy. Yeah, it's, it's yeah good, I'll find yeah. it. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, while there is a, there, as we've discussed, there is obviously a very large physical capture component to this. But I mean, as Ridley himself said, they shot all the underwater stuff at ILM, you know, like in a tank or whatever. And that's the magic, right? You don't, you don't feel any of that. You feel the horror of, of when you realize it's ice, you know, when the guy scrapes the snow and goes, we're on ice, you know exactly what's going to happen. Like you don't even have like the, the audience goes, shit's get, it's going to crack as yeah, they're, they're in trouble. Yeah, Cronenberg. Yeah. The ice is going to break. You know what I mean? Like, this is where we're in the dead zone now. So like, you know, and the, the, hectic, and, the, the horrific and hectic cinematic beauty yeah. of those visual effects in a sequence like that, those large battle scenes where we see those phalanx of uh, soldiers mm-hmm. and horses moving off into the distance. And in the climactic battle of Waterloo at the end with the various, you know, whether it's the cavalry or the lines of soldiers moving forward. As a kid, I remember I had these two books that were, there was one on the American Revolution and one on the American Civil War. And they were, you know, yay big hardback books and they were put out by National Geographic. And in them, they had these gatefold uh, paintings of huge battle scenes where they would paint, even in the paintings where these little explosions of cannonballs going off and horses <laughs> charging and guys getting shot, you know, and it was one of these things where the, the paintings were so cool as a kid, you know, like I was like, I would just stare at those and like marvel at the, the, uh, you know, like the stories, there were so many stories in each image. And there are moments in this film in some of these battle sequences that are just rife with incredibly photorealistic visual effects and total chaos, right? Combined with the live action elements unseen. And it, it, I, there were a couple of the shots that are more aerial where you're kind of seeing a much larger vista mm-hmm. where you can see it go on into the distance and you know a lot of it's digital and extended and whatever, but it looks so good. And it totally looks like those kind yeah. of you know, battle paintings you don't that feel you cheated. see in those books. Not at Mm-mm. all. Yeah. yeah. Like those things like, you know, I mean, it was Henry V, I think it was, uh, uh, back in like that film years ago, where you yeah. know, you'd see a yeah. lot of flags and things and battle and they'd be, so, but, you know, you get the impression that they were battling. I never felt cheated in this film. The visuals like gave me the payoff. And also the other thing I was going to say, you mentioned on the ice. I think there are two things about that ice sequence. Firstly, it's beautiful. Beautiful cinematically because you get slow motion shots by virtue of the fact that when somebody's in the water mm-hmm. tumbling, that's naturally a slow motion-ish type shot. It isn't slow motion, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like it looks slow motion. And then secondly, I can't watch anything like that without going back to uh, Spielberg's work on Normandy and, you know, noise of the battle above of water. They go yeah. under the water on the beaches of Normandy and it goes quiet and you have the bullets coming into the water and then it goes up again. Like that to me is such an iconic 
gorgeous, brilliant piece of filmmaking that even when I was watching Napoleon, I was really into it. I was still thinking, oh yeah, remember that great shot in uh, Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> you know what I thought of during that sequence that I just was surprised I thought of it. And then I, looking back, it was like, I actually went back and watched Jabara. Uh, there's oh, moments right. of the horses drowning and the guys mm-hmm. being pulled down. And I was like, oh, it's just like yeah. that incredibly awesome love death and robots short where we talked to was it is it mm-hmm. was it dj is that who we talked to what was the name of the the guy that we spoke to from <laughs> i slip in my mind right now but but um that was just the the art direction and the design and the the filmmaker who made that this i think he was a yeah filmmaker um yeah, but yeah. It's so so amazing and there were moments in this where I, I was like, I, I was just, I had convinced myself looking at that. I'm like, you know, Ridley Scott saw that. And he was like, oh, that's incredible. <laughs> Got to do that for but, real. But the other thing is, I think he played it a lot in mediums and closes. Like, I don't believe there's like the epic wide of like horses going down. I mean, there's, right. there's, there's medium wides of like the cannonballs to get thing, but he played it kind of claustrophobic, like as yeah. you wanted to. I, I actually, my brain went to the scenes in Sisu of, uh, if you guys have, if you, yeah, where yeah. he, where he kills the Nazis and breathes the air out of their throats underwater. Uh, <laughs> and, but, but in that one, they go to the big wide, right? Cause you want to see that kind of epic. Cause it's just two guys, but in here, like, yeah, just, I mean, it, it, it was probably the most horrific scene or sequence you know, outside of most horror movies, honestly, because it's so real. Like if you're, you feel the horror immediately of what you know is going to happen and then you see it happen. And he's just, Napoleon's just so calmly like cannons, more cannons, more cannons. Like, sorry, dude, like we're going for it. You're going to, whoever survives is going to tell the tale. And that sequence, that Austerlitz sequence, according to the New Yorker article, anyway, that I read about this, it was shot in the same forest where they shot the opening sequence of Gladiator. Oh, wow. Oh, nice one. So, so if we were to summary it up, I think the thing is, Matt's right. We have to judge this film as its own film. And in that respect, I feel like it has, you're right, absolutely right, Matt. I think it's like a mid-level Ridley Scott. Like it's not as complete a film and and I think that the structure of the payoffs and setups seem to be lacking. Visually though, I can't fault it. Like visually, I thought it was the visual effects work was magnificent. And those other departments, as you mentioned, costume, hair and makeup, um, like you know, art direction, uh, production design, they were all just playing their A game. So spectacularly good film. That being said, I really do hope that those plot points that we've mentioned get fixed as it were or at least the the extra time allowed in the apple plus version allows those to have payoffs because if it is it'll be just definitely worth a, a rewatch more than more than once i think it could be magnificent and um and i just hope that uh that we get that when it does come out you guys said next year sometime is that yeah plan? i think early next year is the that's all yeah. i've heard yeah Okay, well, with that, we're going to wrap up the show. But um, any final uh, words, Jason? Uh, no, I, I I forgot to say that I what I really appreciate about Joaquin's performance is, and you had mentioned it that that there that there is humor in this film in a lot of places, and I think that's largely due to him with his like very simple asides and kind of very 
seemingly out of time comments, like period time. But to me, they worked and kind of made me like it humanized the characters, which I think Ridley did really well uh, in this, which was to humanize the characters and not make them feel like they're plucked out of time, but that, that they're actually real people. Uh, which goes to some of the comments you had about the dynamics between him and Josephine and other things it, I, that it, I think it helped in the understanding of like real, these were real people and they made real decisions. Uh, they're not these like machinations of history. And Matt, last thoughts? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's totally worth seeing it in the theater. I think it's a great experience. The visual effects are amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's some fantastic work in this movie. Agreed. Um, cinematography is great. The direction is great. Joaquin Phoenix is great fun to watch the death scene. Uh, I won't give it away, but <laughs> it's, it's comical almost. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, a, it's good and it fits. It's perfect. The score I think is also uh, mm -hmm. something worth noting. There's a great musical score, um, orchestral score for this uh, film. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I look forward to seeing uh, the extended version of it. I hope it's uh, got some more great visual effects in it and some more great uh, character stuff. So, Well, let's just wrap it up as we always do. Jason, where can people uh, check out what you guys are up to? Uh, the Diamond Brothers, diamondbros.com, and anywhere you can type in the word Jason Diamond and not find a writer, a dentist, or a plastic surgeon. Okay. <laughs> and Matt? Yeah, mattwallen.com. Not to be confused with some weird country Western band. No joke. That's called Matt Wallen and his nervous breakdown. Like, what? <laughs> Come on. Give me a break. Um, Is it like a not, like just, country band? <laughs> it's some kind of weird uh, country band. But two movies I just want to recommend for people who out there are cinephiles, like I'm sure most everybody that is involved in effects. Um, May, December on Netflix. I just watched that is the Todd Haynes movie. It's bonkers. Mm. And then The Holdovers, uh, which is the Thomas oh, yeah. Payne. Is that Alexander it? Payne. Alexander Payne. Film. Not Thomas Payne. And I, and I, yeah, <laughs> Thomas Payne, different guy. Um, but I just watched that uh, last night and it is set in 1970 and it feels like a movie from that era. And it is fantastic and a great movie for the holidays too. Excellent. Well, I get confused with Mark Seymour, who is a lead singer of a very famous Australian band. So, uh, so if you M Seymour is doesn't get you anywhere, but <laughs> FX Guide will. So, with that, we'll say thanks so much, guys. Uh, we've got a bit more time in December to get some stuff in before we hit the new year. Of course, the strike is over. Artists are going back to work, but unfortunately, the visual effects artist has a bit of a hangover from the uh, strike. So. Uh, Thoughts go out to all of those that uh, are being mm -hmm. caught up in some of the layoffs and stuff that have happened lately. We really uh, feel for you guys. And I imagine this is going to lead to a complete shit fight in April once everyone realizes that they desperately need those people uh, as those productions finish shooting and those shots go into visual effects. But until then, uh, it's our Waterloo. See you guys later. Thanks so much. Bye. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thefx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.